You're listening to Bella Figura, the tradition of living beautifully. I'm your host, Dolores Alfieri Taranto. And on this show, we talk spirituality for the rest of us with a focus on the art of beautifying all facets of your life using heritage, culture, beauty by hand, ancestral traditions, and old world style as means to do so. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the show. I'm thrilled to be back home, as many of you who follow me over on Instagram and on Substack know, I just got back from a very long trip in Italy, largely southern Italy. We were there for nearly two months, uh, me with my husband and our soon-to-be three-year-old son. It was an epic adventure, lots of highs, some lows thrown in there. And of course, it was a part work trip, part vacation, and a lot of that work side is coming out in the videos of Shay Elliott of the Elliott Homestead. You guys will also know that I've been collaborating with her, and I will link to all of that in the show notes, my Instagram, Substack, Shay's YouTube channel, and of course, I've been writing about various aspects of the experience on my Substack, and there is way more to come, including videos on my pretty close to defunct YouTube channel (laughs) that uh, was a ball that dropped because I'm juggling so many of them, but I have such great footage and so many stories to tell that will just be told well visually. So I'll also uh, link to that in the show notes and check that out and subscribe if you haven't already so that you'll know when I do begin to upload some footage from from Italy. So today we're gonna actually be talking about the trip along with someone that many of you know very well, John Viola, my dear friend, because John was on a leg of the trip with us and we had some really interesting experiences. And also then I went to some places afterwards with just my husband and the baby that we wanted to kind of dissect and dive into because I just think many of you listening will really enjoy this conversation and the content. It's really focused on ancestral roots and doing the hard work and all these things that we're we're always talking about on the show. Before I tell you a little bit more about John, of course, I do want to remind you that House of Tokemon remains our sponsor for season two. And one of the first things I looked at and smiled at when I walked back into the house after nearly two months was my rug from House of Tokemon. There is something about a beautiful hand-woven rug that just becomes a symbol for home. House of Tokemon sources hand-woven, vintage, clean, natural, non-toxic rugs from around the world. These rugs are authentic, they're durable, they're meant to be lived on, and they're meant to be beautiful. The owner, Annabelle, is super passionate about what she does. If you're not following her over on Instagram, she's at House of Tokemon, and I'll link to that in the show notes as well. These rugs align with your old world style and your values of respecting the earth, respecting the people that put in the work, and with 
choosing things that will last and not just be used for six months or a year and then get tossed into the garbage. Annabelle is offering Bella Figura listeners a generous 25% off any rug. Simply use the code Bella25 over at her site, hotrugs.net, and I will link to that in the show notes. Okay, it is a joy for me to introduce John Viola, host of the Italian American podcast who previously served as president and COO of the National Italian American Foundation, where he served with incomparable energy and passion from 2012 to 2018 as the youngest president in NIAF's history. John serves as co-vice president for New York City of the Italian Sons and Daughters of America and on the board of directors of the National Italian American Sports Hall of Fame in Chicago, as well as other Italian cultural boards. He was fundamental in the creation of Pope John Paul II Family Academy in Brooklyn, New York, serving as the Academy's general director and the director of the Madonna della Neve Foundation for many years. He is a Knight of Merit with star of the Sacred Military Constantinian Order of St. George, one of the oldest orders of knighthood in the world, and serves as the United States Delegate for the Constantinian Order. He is also a Knight of the Order of Merit of Savoy, and the Order of Saints Maurice and Lazarus. He serves as president of the Florida Panthers Foundation. A native of Brooklyn, John traces his ancestry to the Vallo di Diano in the province of Salerno, Puglia, Basilicata, and of course, his beloved Sicily. And just a quick note before we jump in to our conversation, if you're not already subscribed to the show, please consider doing so. It will let you know when I put out new episodes automatically. You won't have to search for the show. And I want to thank everyone who's already left a review over on iTunes and Spotify. This really helps to get the show out. And the more people who listen to the show, the more chances it has of being continuously produced because sponsors like a large audience. So if you haven't left a review yet, please consider jumping over, telling everyone what you think about the show, which is hopefully that you love it. It's a really great way to show your support for the content. And not surprisingly, John and I talked for so long that I needed to break this conversation up into two parts, two episodes. So the second part of this conversation will air next week. So definitely stay tuned. Our conversation will slightly leave the region of Sicily and we will talk about my time and his time in Matera, which is in Basilicata, and also our shared beloved city of Napoli. We'll give you some tips, some places to go and tell you a little bit about the history and also just our personal emotional and spiritual experiences and connections to both places. All right, let's jump on into the conversation with John Viola. John, welcome to Bella Figura. It's really nice to finally be here. I've been, uh, <laughs> I feel like I was there at the conception in some ways, and uh, it's nice to finally be on. It's true. You were. I mean, like uh, a lot of my 
ideas and creative projects they they run past you first (laughs) (laughs) very honored that's very kind of you you give good feedback and you seem to like get not seem to you do you get my vision and my aesthetic i mean and i think vice versa so it's always helpful even if you're creative and you're doing things on your own I, i think it's creative to have people that you can turn to and say hey here's my idea yeah you know what do you think you and I get each other's aesthetic and we get each other's um, vision and, and creative approach to stuff. So we can, I think when the other person explains something, you don't really need a lot of translation explanation. We're kind of at the finish line, but we approach things so differently that there's always, first of all, good creative tension. And secondly, we fill in the gaps of what the other one's kind of maybe missing sometimes or yeah. doubting sometimes. And, you know, that's exactly right. Like, you, cause you'll say things that I, I'm like, Oh, I didn't think of that. Or yeah. I, didn't, I didn't, you know, I wasn't thinking of that, but it's a great idea. And that, that is helpful. People, uh, you need to kind of surround yourself with people like that. I think. Yeah. I think you get more, I mean, you know, you and I've worked together in the past, both as friends and, and professionally at NIAF and on the podcast and stuff. And like, I, I really am a big believer that you get more from the creative tension of, of consensus building than you do from just like, I have this great idea and I'm going to fall on my sword for it. Like, I, you know, I, I think if you have a vision for something, the process of getting there takes a lot of good people, oftentimes smarter than yourself to help you figure it out and, and thicken the stew. And yeah, I, I like to do stuff like that. And I love to work. You do. That's a, that's a big, that's a big part of how you, how you work. And I'm, I'm thinking as you're talking that I wonder, I think you may have influenced me in that respect I'm, because what I was going to say before is it's good to surround yourself with people like that instead of this kind of stereotypical old school way of being like, I'm an artist. I'm locking myself in my room. Right. Yeah. You just, you know, kind of said succinctly fall on your sword. And it's true. Like collaboration just makes things easier and healthier and more robust. And who wants to be locked in their room by themselves all the time, tortured, you know, it's like unnecessary. Uh, I think there's like an evolution and like a a, a nuance between being an artist and being a creative. And I like to think of myself as a natural artist who has worked on becoming a creative. And if you're creative, this is our modern terminology, right? You have to create product. You have to create content. You have to create something. If you're an artist, you really can be the tortured artist who just sits in their room and stares at the same painting for 20 years and says, it's just not what I want it to be. And I have that in me. I mean, my grandparents are both practicing artists. My, my mom and all her siblings are artistic. I grew up very much a tortured artist where I just couldn't sit through a formal art class. I did not decided not to go to art school. And I think it took me a long time to mature to realize like, it's not just about this vision in your head and translating it directly onto a medium it's about creating something that people can access and can understand and can speak to them and that's a creative right somebody who Mm. gets that end product particularly on a regular basis so for me uh, yeah i could easily sit and fiddle over whatever it is we're working on over and over and over again and just handcuff myself in anxiety and fear and you know self-doubt or you can just surround yourself with good people who you think at least appreciate your vision and and push forward with them and, and and lean on them a lot. That's well said. I guess maybe I've shifted myself from my younger days of of being an artist with a capital A and I'm very much just a creative now. Yeah. Because you know, especially in this day and age, like you said, it's just 
Uh, the the former is a little boring to me yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, like my, my dad used to say it to me all the time as a kid. He would say, you know, one times one always equals one. Like you just mm. really can't. Yes, you probably create something absolutely beautiful on your own, but that's a turn of luck more than a habit, I think. And so if you want to be creating good stuff habitually, you just need you need good people around you. Well, that's a great segue that we didn't even plan for what we're going to talk about today, collaboration and working yeah, together and <laughs> think about see that yeah. Yeah. See what happens see? when you work together. <laughs> right. We do work well together. Yeah. So I wanted to ha- have you on because we just came back from Italy, as many of the listeners know, and um, part of that trip was with you. And we collaborated along with Shay Elliott of the Elliott Homestead on making some content and being creative (laughs) overseas in a place that all of us love and, um, and respect and want, and want to be a place that we want to be a part of our lives. And then the other week you and I, uh, along with Pat and Rosella, were recording an episode for the Italian American podcast. And we, you and I just started talking about the trip and I realized this could be a whole episode, just diving in a little bit to the things we experienced and, what Italy means, maybe some tips for people and and some ideas uh, for them that they they haven't heard of certain places before. So we're going to kind of keep it loose and just and just dive in, talk about our favorite places. Does that yeah, sound good? I mean, that sounds great to me. I mean, you and I could do that for <laughs> six hours and this is the first time in a long time I've been on a podcast where I don't have to edit it. So yeah, I'm here. Oh, perfect. Here. I'm, I'm not going anywhere. That's good to me. I'm assuming yeah. with you on, it's not going to be too much work to edit. So that that's a good thing too. Uh, three places that came to mind that stood out for me, uh, two of which we were not there in together, but Alicudi, which is the island uh, off of Sicily, and Matera, which is in Basilicata, and Napoli, which, of course, is in Campania. Capital of the South. Capital of the South. And I think that all of those places had really cool experiences for me and Alicudi, of course, the one that we shared together, but I know that you've been to both Matera and obviously Napoli and, and you can talk about those places too, and what they mean to the Italian American experience and Italian history in general. Yeah. I mean, because both yeah. of those places are where a lot of Italian Americans are from. Oh, sure. I mean, they're, they're both major. All three of them actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All three of them, all three of them sent significant portions of their population here and, and other places, other countries as well over the last 150 years. And, you know, I think you and I were talking off mic about your approach with Bella Figura and, and the idea of these uh, seasons and themes, which, gosh, I wish we had on the Italian American podcast because <laughs> it's helped me. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, well, I, I think imagine. that was your idea. Speaking yeah, again of collaboration, was, I yeah. think you're the one who told me, you know what a great thing to do is pick a theme for the season. And I was like, brilliant. Yeah. It'll keep me focused. Yeah. Yeah. For the, for the <laughs> listeners that are in both audiences, you'll know I, I got to take me a while to get Pat and Roe on board for a, a specific season and, and cutting, cutting it down. Yeah. But, you know, you know, we were talking about what this is and this, the theme of this season is and the idea of slowing down. And, you know, it's no coincidence that the way you approach your time in Italy, which was what two months, yeah. basically, right? You were wow. over there, and mm-hmm. we got to spend like two weeks together, and then I was there for another two weeks with my wife and kids, and kids. Well, that's weird. My <laughs> wife and daughter, uh, you know, okay. yeah, going through <laughs> uh, going through family stuff. Yeah, I wish it was the case, but yeah. God spares. Um, but point being, you know, it's a great place to slow down, and the way you did it, 
the way you approached it with Drew and uh, Angelo really did have as much as you were speeding up to different locations, you had a nice sort of slow approach to it, even in the time that we shared, you know, some of the time we stayed in Airbnbs and we went grocery shopping and we cooked right. together. And like, it, it was just so much different than a sort of, you know, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am tour. Mm-hmm. We, we, yeah. we really do get to kind of live in, in, a, in a much slower pace, particularly in those places in the South. I mean, you can't really rush down there. No, it's just kind of automatic. You get there and you, you can't fight the pace. You have to just like, like sink into it and be, and be okay with it. And it's the same thing with the food. You just have to accept that you're, unless you're cooking in your own kitchen, you're going to have a cornetto for breakfast. Yeah. You're not going to have eggs. Yeah. You're not going to have bacon. You're, you're, you know, this is what it is like everywhere. It's the same breakfast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't look for pancakes. They're not going to yeah. be on the menu. And the, and the food, you also kind of just sink into it's pasta. Mm-hmm. It's pizza. Yeah. And it's okay. Cause here you would never eat pasta every single day. But <laughs> no, in, you would not. No. In Southern Italy, you do. Yeah, sure. Of course. I mean, you, 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 you surrender. And we've talked about this so much, right? And we talked about it with the Elliots because I think it was their second time in Italy, or yeah. um, mm-hmm. you know, not not particularly um, frequent travelers to the place. And you know, first Italy charms you with its overwhelming beauty and blessings. I mean, um, Emperor Frederick the Second, the Hohenstaufen Emperor of. Uh, the Holy Roman Empire and, and King of Sicily said, God must not have seen the south of Italy or he wouldn't have promised uh, his chosen people Israel. Right. He would have made it. He would have made it. I've never heard that. Yeah, because it's so beautiful and it's so appealing and it, and it just it's so seductive and charming. But then when you're working there and, you know, or, or doing anything of consequence there for a longer stretch of time, Italy has its frustrations. Right. And, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. we've been joking that it's the country of plan B because you do have to kind of be flexible and willing and and you can only go to plan b if you take the time to pause take a breath slow yourself down and react to the situation as it unfolds and we as americans have this amazing um uh, ability but also sort of handcuff and that i think we always like we we plan and then it's got to go right and we move the pieces and it's very tense and like you just can't do that in Italy because plans fall apart immediately. So you're forced to slow right. down, react, let things come to you. And it's it's sort of that I think it's a secret to a lot of Italy's success, actually. You also look insane in Italy if you act that way. Yeah, of course. You look like a crazy person. <laughs> because it's just it's not the same energy. In fact, when I got back and went to my nail appointment, the same woman's been doing my nails for tons of years. And she's asking me about the trip. And she was like, uh, she said, are they, are they like us here? Is it like, they're like laid back, aren't they? They're not like us here. It's <laughs> like, it's like anxiety. She's like, did you hear, like, do you even hear the word anxiety over there? No. And I, and I thought about it and I was like, no, actually. I mean, stress in Italian is los tres. It's a, it's a loan word. They don't have a word for it. They don't Literally, have a word. They really for don't it. have a word for it. I mean, now yeah. they, I'm sure they use it, but they use los tres. That that says everything you need to know about. Which is our word is what you're saying. Which is our it's word. Basically yeah, they, our they word t- for it. Yeah. Yes. They took yeah. it from us. Yeah. yeah. And I, I hadn't really thought about it until she said it that way. It's 
you, you can't act like this frenzied, crazy, you know, we're in New York, this, this high powered New Yorker with your schedule running from errand to errand because you do, you would look mad, like yeah. insane. People don't act that way there. So when I got back, it did not take long. I almost, almost instantly noticed that I took on that American anxiety, move fast, got so much to do, energy right away. Yeah, it's like I, almost like that plane ride home washes off the the calm. Yeah. Right? It, yeah. It was like putting on a helmet or something like, okay, now I'm <laughs> yeah. home. Here's yeah. this crazy pace. I, I think I was at the grocery store and I started to feel it because I haven't felt it in two months. And it was rather eye-opening because not feeling it for two months reminds you that you don't have to feel it. Yeah. But at the same token, though, that's the thing about like all of this social upheaval that we're going through now. Right. I think we have this sense because of technologies like this one and, you know, the phone. I mean, I have an iPhone six, so it can't do much anymore. But like the phones, most people carry, uh, you can transport yourself anywhere, access anything, find people who agree with you and interact with them in a very um, thorough way through online mechanisms, right? You can listen to podcasts that that uh, confirm what you believe. And so you can kind of find your micro tribe and you can, unfortunately, for better or worse, do all of that from the, you know, the couch in your living room, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so we have this very artificially enhanced sense in my mind that you can really individually dictate the life you want, right? I only eat this and I only do this. And that's very true. You can control a lot of the intimate elements of, of the life you want, but at the same time, for better or worse, you're part of a society. You cannot fully true. extract yourself. You yeah. have to, you know, even if you get all your groceries delivered, at some point you have to interact with a wider society where the collective energy uh, impacts you. And I think the collective energy in our society here, maybe it's the Northeast, maybe it's the whole United States or, or parts of it, it's much faster paced, much, much more stressful nowadays, in particular with these communication technologies, much more demanding of our time. You know, it's not just like I'm waiting for a phone call now. It's uh, I got a text. I have to call this one back. And, I, and and Italy doesn't have that. So when you talk about like what kind of society your your nature is built for, if you look at thousands of years of being Italian and then 150 or less of being here, I do think you're built your nature is sort of built for that, uh, that kind of a society. So you go there and of course it feels relaxing. It's relaxing for anybody, let alone somebody who probably has a lot of those pre, uh, conditions in them. So I, I do think wow. as hard as you try, it's hard to, it's hard to replicate the Italian life here. So I was worried you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. My apologies. Cut that out. Be because as I finished what I was saying, a little voice in my head was like, no, you live here and this is here and it's not Italy. And that what I so, to, so to go back and actually refine my comment after your comments. It was like I like the, I just keep picturing this thing I put on sure. and and that's that's this area. That's East Coast. That's America. That's New York. It was like I had to go back into that pace like you're jumping on a different 
train now and this train goes faster and this train has a lot to do and this train like keeps working and it's not the other train that is like yeah. slow and local looking out the window it's and you're right you can't i can't get off this train really fully and it's an armor that you put on right to gird yourself and protect yourself from this much more um aggressive pace that we live in and at the same time i guess that's the great mystery it's like you know you did a a unique thing in going for two months with your entire nuclear family and popped all over the place and you I'm sure dealt with the many frustrations that come with Italy. And, you know, the question becomes, is it a fantasy? Like I remember when I was in mm. high school, I was a really bad student and I just didn't want to go to college. My dad was a, a graduate of the military Academy at West Point college was, he was the first in his family to go to college. My mom's family, I w- would have been the first had I gone on time. I think I was the first. Yeah. I think I was the first person to go second to graduate. It took me a little longer than my cousin, but my point being, it was, you know, of course you're going to go to college. And I was like, I don't want to go to college. I want to move to Italy. And so my dad took me to my grandmother's town and I spent some time with my relatives there who I knew. Uh, but it, I quickly realized like, okay, I'm, I can't just stay in this little small mountain town and like help them till earth. That's I, I, I got to do something. And so when I got back from the trip, I went and signed up for a local college that had rolling admission because the fantasy in my mind of this Italian life butted up against the reality of a function. Right. So I don't know. I mean, can, can you go and consign this lifestyle to your past and just go back to Italy or, or anywhere in the world that seems simpler and live a truly simpler life? I, I really don't know. Or does it just catch up with you? It's such a, an interesting topic. And I totally get what you just said because my husband of course, the whole time, not surprisingly, it's like, I want to buy something here. I want to live here. I want to buy, I want to buy something here. He wants to buy a house everywhere we go. I'm the same way. <laughs> everywhere Nicole's like, we how go. many lives are you going to live? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. The same way. Now, I, you know, we've talked before about Italy and wanting it to be, of course, a big part of our lives and a big part of the baby's life, life and, and our heritage. It's, it's important to us. I don't want it to be this museum piece that we only get to every, you know, five years for two weeks. Yeah. So we talked about this a lot and I actually not surprisingly thought about it a lot and I don't think I could live there full time. I, I, I don't, I think, I just think I'm more American than I may realize until I go to yeah. Italy. Yeah. And then I do, I miss home. I just miss Maybe I do in some way miss the pace. It's hard to explain, but I I could live there for part of the year. Yeah. And have and then come back here and have like a and it might just simply be that it's just comfortable for me because I've lived here my whole life. It might not sure. it might be no more complicated than that. But we did one place we did go was uh Montoni. We went to Feudal Montoni and I'm bringing this up because i i think melissa's a good case uh example what are the case example case study thank you case study in this because melissa uh, melissa muller she's been on this show and on the italian american podcast she's the author of sicily and she runs this organic beautiful organic winery with her yeah. husband fabio right in the in yeah. the countryside in kind of the heartland of sicily and she grew up 
the town over for me in Bergen County. I mean, it doesn't get like kind of more East coast than, than Bergen County. Yeah. It's, you know, it's very yeah. like nice also, cars. Also know, home of the notorious POB Pat O'Boyle, by the and, way. And so, Pat, right. Who, yeah. who loves it? Who's not going yeah. anywhere. He's <laughs> not going anywhere. Yeah. But for Melissa, it was. This place just did not work for her. Like yeah. she was born here. She was raised here, but she felt like she couldn't live here. And she has no seemingly no problem, no conflict, not being in America. Yeah, I I take a lot from her example because she. You know, she grew up like us going back a lot. Um, went to her grandmother's town in Sicily a lot. She went there to work, to research, to write her book, fell in love with one of the subjects of her book, amazingly enough, uh, and Fabio, who's amazing and a great family. And they created this wonderful life. And Melissa is like, my dad would say, actualizing on what she's supposed to be, right? She is mm. she's clearly where she's supposed to be. That's not to yes. say she wakes up every day and the birds bring her flowers through her window like a Disney movie, but she's <laughs> actualized where it's obvious she's supposed to be there. And, you know, we were back and forth on text message after we separated because I I left you came back to collect my family and then we went back for a family wedding and we went with my uh, my daughter's godmother and, and her husband they got married there my in-laws my wife and after two more weeks we got back uh, on the flight home and everybody collectively was like yeah I'm ready for this I'm ready for that and you know ready to be back to normal or whatever it is and I keep coming back to after dozens and you know dozens of years i've been going to italy since i was 12 11 12 almost 40 and in the later part of my life i've gone till covid you know sometimes six times sometimes eight times a year uh i've never had a trip where i've gone and wanted to come back like i've never had a trip where i've got on that really never never one and I, I and that's not me being like false memory or and so I, I, you know, how long I, have you all, stayed for, though? Have you ever stayed for a very long time, for instance, two months? <laughs> I don't know. A, a month I, probably would be the longest time I've stayed there in, you know, continuously. Now, that being said, I'm not going to the post office and I'm but mm. but at the same time, you know, you still encounter frustrations in your everyday. Right. No matter how long you're there, especially if you're there often and, and multiple, multiple times. Um I think if I had to like work a factory job and, you know, try to collect my benefits sure. and, you know, that would be difficult. That that make it a lot. Yeah. Difficult. Yeah. You're like Drew. Drew could have stayed. My husband could have stayed for another two months. It just he was totally fine with it. So a good question that I asked myself, however, is what if I had my own home? Yeah, that that might change things. The it's hard for me to kind of separate what parts of home did I miss? Do I miss literally home? Does that make sense? Or just having yeah. a home? Because for me with the baby, especially it's really difficult to move from one place to another. And then you stay in Airbnbs, which almost never meet my standards <laughs> of, <laughs> yeah. of anything cleanliness, uh, chief among them. And, and then hotels, which aren't homes, you know, they're beds. Even if when you stay in nice hotels, it's still not a home. That is what, of all the things, that wore on me the most. Yeah. I mean, 
I, I don't know if I think I was having this conversation with you before we left. Just one of our normal, like, random esoteric question text message chains where I think it was you and you said, like, do you ever feel like you could just up and go? Uh, but there's things that keep you back. And oh, I yeah. was reflecting on the idea that, like, yeah, for me, it's my family, right? right. My extended family. Sure. I live five minutes from my brother and his wife and kids. And when my parents are up north in the warmer months, they're 20 minutes away. My in-laws are 15 minutes. My brother-in-law and his family, 15 minutes, not even. So, you know, that I, that's the trade-off, right? Yep. That for me, that's home or wherever my family is. Yes. It's easier now as you see yourself in an adult life and with your own family and you realize how precious that time is and how you know, yeah. difficult it is to get together to sort of say, okay, like I really don't want to just up and go, but there is a big part of me that feels like I could up and go, um, at some point and just have to sort of base my travel back or having people visit me on the fact that I want to see my extended family as much as possible. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's why like the three, four months a year thing seems appealing to me because I feel like I would get to stay near my family or, you know, relatively near my family for the rest of the year. And then in those four months, people will come see you. If you have a nice yeah. home in Italy and all they have to do is get a ticket, people will come visit you. Yeah. I mean, I, when I was in a kid, when I was a young boy, my dad opened an office for one of his companies in London and my grandfather was really sick. My dad's dad. And it was, it was tough. You know, we lived down the block. We saw him every day. It was tough to watch him decline. I think in retrospect, toughest of all for my dad and so we decided when they opened the office um different than any other office he'd open internationally we were going to go there and spend like six months and the first three or four days i was 11 or 12 as my first uh time really anywhere else in europe uh we've been once to london when i was like nine um the first three or four days my brothers and i refused to sleep in separate beds and we just cried like the whole time that mm. so we wanted to go home we wanted our families our friends you know school and then quickly we got into a pace of this amazing experience that you know because when you're a young kid six months seems like 60 years sure so we got this amazing like uh routine and it was just you know we got to explore different countries on the weekends and uh, obviously everything london and the uk has to offer and the family time because my dad was working 15 minutes away from his office uh -huh. uh, from, from the house as opposed to commuting. And um, by the time we came home, we were thrilled to get back to our family and our grandparents and cousins and stuff, but we also probably could have stayed, you know, yeah. like you just, you just you, you're, you're so resilient and yeah. you do build a new life amongst your nuclear family. And you know, there's, you adapt, you adapt, you adapt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, one thing also about Melissa circling back to Montoni, however, is, I think of them because if we did live in Italy, I think our, our way of living would be more like them. And they, they live in Sicily and they live like Sicilians, but they work like Americans. Yes, absolutely. That's part of their success. That's part of their success. And I, and I think that kind of is more appealing to me. Like, okay. I could, I could do that. You know, so you have this, work life that you can continue to kind of create and, and do things and connect with people and make strides and frankly, you know, have success and meet your goals. But then you're also living in this beautiful country and 
and at that pace and with the food and the way people are, you know, so they do have like a nice blend, but I don't know if they're really doing siesta. I'm not sure. Yeah. I doubt they're, you know, like forcing themselves to sleep an hour or two in the middle of, you know, after a long lunch. But yeah, I think that's the, like the new, that's the new paradigm we're discovering in the world, right? Like, especially post COVID and this idea of remote work, um, you can you really do the things you want to do interact with the kinds of people you want to interact with and need to professionally from anywhere like you know right I was stunned the first time I was really surprised I don't know maybe it's because on my other business trips to Italy I've been in sort of more um, more city settings and we were in really remote settings here together and then when I was at the wedding we were in a remote kind of Borgo in, in Tuscany and stuff, but like, I was surprised at how difficult it was to get good internet wherever I was. And like, you know, I had to do some wires yeah. and it took me forever and couldn't get them done. Cause the bank's got to text you. And my, my, when the internet worked, my cell phone didn't. And like, you know, if you're going to do that, you, you do need to focus on making sure that the infrastructure is available to you to pursue the professional life that you want to. But I don't think that that's, you know, if you, like you said, if, if it's home, then you, you, you put the quality stuff around you, right? You, you, you go for the upgraded internet. You, you sure. go to a place where you know you can get service and you can, you know, you have to make some sacrifices then. I don't think you could, you probably couldn't be a full-time American professional schedule in a place like Alicudi where we were, you know? Yeah, because it's a, it's, it's a little tougher there. No, I think Alicudi is a place where people go maybe to, you know, to create the work in solitude and isolation and peace. Yeah. And then they go back to London or they go back to Rome or New York or whatever. And they, you know, they put it out into the world. And yeah. I guess that's kind of what I'm talking about in a way of this living in both places. I think that having a mix of those two paces, but, you know, actually now that we're talking about Melissa and Fabio were, I'm not sure. Sh- can't remember if you were there when we were talking about this, but they were talking to me about this very thing, which is like Melissa tells Fabio she doesn't ever want to leave Montoni, but they also need to go to Palermo. They have, you know, they have a, a place in Palermo as well because they need to do business there. And they also need to go to Milan to go to uh, food shows and wine shows. And they, they need to come here to New York. They need to meet with their, uh, uh, distributors and they need to go to shows and he says you need he she told me he says to her you need both like you need this kind of retreat this country the land the farm but also you have to go out into the world and have that you know that level of interaction with people yeah if you want to engage the world you have to engage the world on its own terms and that's Mm. that's you know it's it's i don't know anywhere uh Maybe it exists out there, you know, some Scandinavian country or Switzerland or, or some part of the U.S. where you can like kind of have it all and never have to leave. Right. And if you maybe have better Wi-Fi and you can do all the logistical stuff. But at the same time, if you're like they are, you know, selling a product or representing a brand or your creations, at some point you have to take them out into the world. You, you have to you have to go out right. and you have to do stuff, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Alicudi was. One place we went to that I thought we had a really amazing experience, and uh, I did write about it in my in my last Substack issue. I'm doing the second part of that 
this week because I realized I needed more than one essay. It was just going to be too much. Yeah. And Drew and I were talking afterwards too. And we noted several times how great and fitting and perfect it was that you were with us. Oh, thank you. It just made sense that you were there. You know, you're the baby's godfather. You're one of our dearest friends. You totally get this stuff. Like we're on the same page. It's this, this stuff is like the part of our bond, you know, yeah. in a way. And what I'm talking about, if you, if you haven't listened to the, the, the last week's uh, or the week's the week before um, Italian American podcast episode, and you haven't read the Substack, I'll link to both in the show notes. Alicudi is my husband's ancestral area. It's an inactive volcano. It's part of the Aeolian Islands, which are which are seven islands off of Sicily, off of Sicily's northern coast. It's not the smallest, but it's definitely the most remote and uh, isolated, not built up, the most rural, if you will, and. We've went there once before, uh, four years ago, and this time I I wanted to take John and Shay there, and I wanted to show them around. And I thought that Shay, especially, you know, she's got a farm, she lives out in the country. I just thought she's going to love this landscape and how people are living here. And what happened was the last time we went, we went to see my husband's great-grandfather's house. So it would be the house his grandfather grew up in before he left for Brooklyn, as well as the wood shop adjacent where his great-grandfather was the carpenter on the island. But we couldn't get in to see it. And a couple of the locals, because of course I speak Italian, so I would be speaking to people, trying to make connections and see if anybody knew, did he have any more living relatives here that they didn't know about? Did they remember his family and so on? You know, it's a small island. And a couple people said, oh, the the key is with a guy on Lipari, which is one of the adjacent um, islands. And they said, if you'd let us known sooner, if we knew you were coming, we might have been able to get the key. Okay, so we leave, we come home four years later, we're back. And and I before we left, I started messaging with the host of the Airbnb we were renting. And I asked her, would it be possible to get the key? Did she know anybody? And so on. Fast forward, we get off the boat, we land there. She's meeting us at the dock and she does not have the key to the house, but she does know who has the key to the shop. So we make plans early the next morning to meet him at the shop. And it is so hot on this island. <laughs> That's an understatement. It was yeah. so hot. I, I had a headache above my right eye for <laughs> three days straight. Yeah. It was bizarre. And the thing you have to understand is there are no roads. There's no cars. It's just steps. Right. Steps, steps. Is, steps is steps is going to steps is mm -hmm. a Sort of, I don't know if it's a misnomer for what we climbed, actually, <laughs> because to the American audience, a step is a, you know, step is engineering marvel, right? The, 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 if you think about the psychology of steps, you say mm. when you going down a step is like actually the, the greatest um, psychological 
accomplishment of the bipedal human because mm. you're, you're just throwing yourself off of a cliff basically mm -hmm. and trusting that the next thing will be there so the precision the measurements is perfect these are they're steps all right they're they're <laughs> they're they're gradiated terraces of all different heights and it's lengths true. and depths and surfaces and stones it, it it looks like the gods came from mount olympus and just like scraped across the mountain and their <laughs> fingers left something akin to like a a slight grade up. i mean it was just like uh, it yes. was part climbing part walking part rock climbing really yeah okay that's like. really true that's a very good description actually i'm i'm gonna because when you said to me steps steps going up i'm like i can make steps i could do steps and then i saw them i'm like I'm, i may not make this i may not make it to the the the, the, the mules i don't know how the mules did it oh, let alone us so the mules bring people's luggage from the port up to wherever they're staying and you're encouraged to not bring a lot and if you do like us because we were traveling from place to place my family not john john had like a single bag that he just carried <laughs> poor guy uh, traveling so light and then like helping us with all our bags sweating it was a lot uh, of bags <laughs> it was we were there for two months with yeah it was, you have to so we left our bags at the port in the in the station and we just brought like kind of overnight bags because the mules can't bring these huge suitcases up so you that's 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 the only mode of transportation and it's not even for human beings which john you were upset about <laughs> you thought you were I gonna ride I, well, first of all you told me they were donkeys so i'm like this is great i'm riding a donkey Did up i the say hill. mule again no, no it is mule it is mule you're right okay like, i had it we, right mule. no you're okay. right yeah when okay. we were on as we were planning and you're explaining this to me i envisioned steps somewhat you know the concrete steps and i envisioned donkeys you kept saying donkeys back then and so i'm like habit. this is great i'm gonna ride a donkey with my backpack on this you know this <laughs> like this i'll do this in a heartbeat if anybody else is worried i'm going by donkey and then all of a sudden i see these <laughs> like american mules which are a very distinct animal and they're just for bags and like they're barely making it up and i'm like okay i i'm in dress shoes right i'm in dress pants and dress shoes from the boat and i'm like here we go we're making it up this mountain and it's a mountain and it is a significant climb i'm so climb. sorry i i should have paid more attention to the distinction between those two animals i <laughs> i guess i don't even you you pointed out in the uh, yeah you pointed out that i keep mixing them up and rarely in life does it matter when i you think that's exactly what United it is I, yeah. that's exactly right you could just use it sloppily using them interchangeably but when it really matters they are yep. not the same animal not the same beast no, they're, not. <laughs> they're definitely not and in, e in either case, didn't matter what they were because we weren't allowed to ride them. So we're, exactly. We had so a walk. We long story short is we were exhausted. We were hot. And it goes without saying there's no air conditioning on Alicudi. They're barely even fans, which is something I don't understand because the mules <laughs> can carry a fan. So That's right. it, it's just you'd think you're surrounded by water. It was going to be some kind of breeze. It was not. And so you just it was just relentless that you didn't get a break from the heat it wasn't like you showered and then you went into your room and you were cool it just there was no escaping it i learned working in italy over summers 15 years ago it dawned on me that when you're there shower like an italian shower once a day mm. uh you know we have this american like shower refresh going to air conditioning mentality it's like you you're washing the environment off of you to go into a completely, you know, um, vacuum sealed, vacuum sealed <laughs> temperature environment. And it's like 
you know, everybody was like rushing to shower. I'm like, I'm I'm using the sweat God gave me and I'm going to let my clothes get damp and I'm going to, you know, straighten the wrinkles as much as I can, like a real Italian, because if you don't, if you don't surrender to it. Yeah. You, you got to like it's mind over matter. It's really mind over matter. Oh, and Alicudi, I was like, I'm toast. And I mean, I, I'm horrified to see the video that Shay puts out because <laughs> from Alicudi, because it was like you weren't putting you weren't putting makeup on. No. You weren't. There, there was no point in putting on anything. You, it would just come right off and you would look frightening. And there was nothing about your hair that you could keep it looking smooth and clean. It, it was just no. I was like, OK, this is it. No. It's over. We're getting I, real here. Like I got nothing. <laughs> first time I had a business meeting in Italy where I put so I think I put hairspray or gel or something. I was going to a thing and it was like a, a boiling August. And I realized very quickly that all that that was doing was just sweating down into my face <laughs> oh, like a thin layer of glue. <laughs> so my whole face was sticky. It felt so much hotter. It didn't oh. do anything for my aesthetics. I was like, I'm not doing any of this anymore. Yeah, just, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. You just have to kind of again, like like we said, with the pace, you just have to like lean into it. So we go to bed finally that night, uh, very tired, and we have to be up early in the morning to go meet this guy. And he, you know, he's coming up the mountain too in the heat. So you guys ended up going down, back down the mountain, which was very brave to find something to eat that night. And I stayed back because I was so exhausted. And so was the baby. And I needed to let him sleep. The next morning, we didn't have much time, but we drank some coffee. And then you guys were telling me about this woman that you ran into. Yeah. Named Jessica. Yeah. Right. Jessica. And you were, you kept saying to me, you would have loved her. I kept thinking, I wish Dolores was here. Yeah. The whole time. I mean, we, yeah, we went down for a big local dinner because we learned pretty quickly that if you don't, if you want to eat near where you are on the mountain, you have to find, uh, home restaurant in somebody's house and you have to give them you know eight or nine hours notice and then they will get the ingredients brought up and then you know so you're sort of making a reservation right uh, and if you don't make a reservation there's no restaurant just randomly open exactly so you got to go down to the port which we did and we had this beautiful dinner with all these local delicacies and tons of uh, local wine it was you know me drew and the elliott family and you know you you get up like any good Italian dinner and you're a little bit buzzed from so much local wine and you're definitely full from the meal. And we realized it's now pitch black and we've got to make our way up these mountain paths. <laughs> we'll call them roads, step paths with no lights, nothing. I mean, it's nothing. They're, they're, they're black stone, right? Yeah, you so you're just walking. Yeah. Which all we have is these little cell phone ones. Right. And so long story short, we got lost. We, we knew the landmark we had to find. It was like, I don't know, it'd take like definitely like 40 minutes maybe to get up and down a half an hour at least. Um, yeah. And so we knew about like 20 minutes in, we should have seen the local church and that had a small, I don't want to say piazza, a small courtyard. And OK, at the courtyard, you make a right. And OK. And we're like in a half an hour in now and we should be home. And we've not seen the church. And we're like, OK, we're we're, all, we're toast. So I said, OK, guys, let's circle back to where we last remember the, you know, mm. cactus plant that had a broken whatever <laughs> uh, we could landmark we could yeah. identify. And as we're walking down, dying and sweating and I'm like huffing and puffing, there's like five women in their 70s and 80s just pacing us on the way down. Not a, not a 
bead of sweat. I know all in their dresses with purses and walking sticks and whatever. And uh, I started asking them in Italian because I was the Italian speaker amongst us. You know, where do we go? And some lady responds in English and, and it's beautifully accented aristocratic English. Mm-hmm. And she's, you know, she takes an interest. She helps us guy back and she starts telling us that she knew Drew's family and they're distantly related through marriage and just the most amazing woman, a, a, a British woman who had relocated and married a Sicilian in the 50s. And up until now, uh, although her husband has predeceased her, she still spends some of her summers on their yeah, ancestral uh, yeah. part of Alicuti. So I, yeah, I, I mean, she was just amazing what she knew, her charm, her delivery, the fact that she was, I'm going to guess in her late eighties and so much better at this than us. I thought you really needed to interact with her. I thought you would have had a lot of questions for this lady. Right. So I'm like, great. I missed a great meal. <laughs> I missed, I missed this woman, but at the same time, I would have, I probably would not have made it back up those steps that night. I was done. And I knew that. So I was like, you guys go ahead. The next morning we set out. It's just Drew and I, Angelo, our son and John comes with us. And we walk towards Drew's family is a, you know, his ancestral home on the Island. And we do get in to see the shop. And that was just wonderful. It was like this moment you just walk in and you just feel this charge of something that I is very difficult to explain. But knowing that his family had worked in there and, you know, that work is what helps you take care of the next generation, which is, you know, brought finally my husband. And then we had our son in there running around and it all led to him. Right. All that leads to my son, my almost three year old son running around and he doesn't know where he is because he's too little. But we do. And I do feel like the land does in some way. And the the people who've come before know. And we close, we take pictures, we talk about it. You know, John's there too, experiencing it with us. We close the door and we're about to leave and go back to the house when the same woman, Jessica, comes walking up the stairs. It's like the opposite end of the island. Yeah, that's right. Totally right? opposite end of the island. Yep. Different place. Here she comes up on the level that we're at, which is, you know, fairly high up. And John's like, this is this is the woman I'm like get out of here so we start talking to her and finally we tell her oh this is where this is where Drew's grandfather was born this is the shop his father worked great grandfather worked in we are not getting to see the house which is kind of disappointing but it's okay you know we're just grateful to be here and she goes you know oh no uh Colette lives right here Colette owns the house now And she just, before we can even realize what she's doing, right? She's in there talking to someone and she comes out and this kind of uh, elegant French woman pops her head out and she's like, oh yes, I'll be right there. She speaks English. And we, the three of us are looking at each other, John and uh, Drew and and I, like what is happening right now? Yeah. You know? Yeah. It was really amazing uh, (laughs) for me. Is this happening? so much of this stuff, I believe, was the Holy Spirit guiding us. And like, you yeah, know, some other person might believe it's something else. The ancestors, whatever, the, the wind, I don't care, the, the universe. Um, but I got the sense, especially going in the shop, right, because 
the shop was amazing. And you're right. The fact that it sustained this family for so long and they, you know, you said earlier in the introduction to it, they were the carpenters. There's only one, yep. right? So like the, right. The, the famous thing is Drew's great grandfather made all of the doors on it's the island. Literally, right? that's what they so, say. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like there's not much diversification of, of uh, industry there. He was the guy and it was beautiful. But at the same time, it was also long abandoned mm. and empty. And other than, you know, there's an interesting, like kind of cone dome shaped white room with uh, some colored uh, plaster on it. But it, it didn't didn't have much to tell the story. Right. Correct. It was just a it was a shop uh, could have been a barn, really, the way it, mm -hmm. the condition it was in. And so even for me as an outsider, an observer, I'm thinking to myself like, man, we're, here we are right next to the family home and what a shame we can't get in. And, and it's like you, you're willing the universe to change those circumstances, right? Like you, you're almost begging uh, God to do something, you know, like deliver some miracle that gives us the, the, the full enchilada of this experience. And sure mm -hmm. enough, here comes this aristocratic British voice. You know, she's she's lugging massive bags down the mountain, yep. by the way. Again, she's not like, sweating. Uh, again, not sweating. Completely <laughs> pleasant, like Mrs. Doubtfire accent. Yep. Like, oh, of right. course. That's so right. happy to see you. And I'm like, how do you can't make this up? You can't write this. Here she pops up. Yep. Yeah, you're right. And because all of us were kind of we were we were bummed that we weren't going to get into the house again. You know, I've been to Alicudi twice now and neither time. Can I get in to see this house? I and mean, it's not, it's not somewhere you go every day, Alakudi. It's not easy to get to. It's no. not easy to be on. So you're absolutely right. And without her, we would have left and not gotten into the house yeah. because she knew who owned the house now. And she knew, she knew where to find her. And that led to everything. Yeah. So had we not gotten lost, had we not decided to go to dinner, have we, you know, it's, a, it's like all of it all yep. for the want of a nail, right? They always right. say, like, had we not gotten lost, gone to dinner, we would, none of it would happen. That's right. So absolutely. So Colette comes out and we just kind of, it, it, it almost feels like slow motion. You know, like, is this yeah. happening? And you're watching like all the pieces come together. Here comes Jessica. She's, Colette comes out. You're just, you're watching her go down to the door. We turn around and I look at my husband and he just like his face was just like wide, like he just had like wide open eyes and he just looked at me and like shook his head. Like he looked like he was going to cry before he'd even gone in. He just because this is, you know, obviously it's a big deal. Nobody in other people have been to the island like his sister has been there. His uncle has been there, but no one's been in the house. And no one, you know, no one's seen it. And so this was just a next level thing. And then to be there with Angelo, who's named after his grandfather, who was named after his father. And and they're all Angelos. Like my father-in-law is Angelo. Uh, my husband's the only one not Angelo because they wanted to be American. Yeah. And his grandfather said to my father-in-law, don't name him Angelo. It stops with you. So they didn't Isn't crazy. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. yeah. And so that's why, obviously, one of the reasons our son is named Angelo, because we want to bring that back. So we go in. It seemed like a real just kind of family experience, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at all around. And yeah. and it was the Holy Spirit and it was our ancestors. And all of that felt like the right people were there to experience it. 
she's showing us the house and it had been owned by one person before. Like, so his grandparents sold it to one person who was the only other person who's lived there. Yeah. And they were telling us how knowing her, cause they knew her, she didn't change anything. Like she, there's no renovations done. No. So we were confident, very confident that we were seeing the house as they had built it Yeah, and lived in it. Yeah. And you can like, and, and you know, the doors were his doors, right? The steps were built mm-hmm, by mm-hmm. Drew's great grandfather. Now Angelo's great, great grandfather. I, right. I, to me, the, the, the amazing thing was when we're in the house and now we're, you know, hanging out with this lady, Colette, she's an artist. She's really interesting. She's a fascinating story of her own. And she's renovated her house next door, which is why she bought Drew's ancestral home anyway. And she goes, I think at this point we're in her house now. She's like invited us over for right. coffee. Yep. And she goes, yeah, you know, did you notice where your great grandfather signed the house? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what? And she's like, you know, yeah, they, they signed the house when they built it uh, or expanded it, whatever. And she like points through the yard and there's in, in, in the stones in all these light stones that the house is built out of in dark black pebbles, like really interesting, smooth pebbles, the initials AT and the year 1911. and that's your son's initials. Right. And I'm yep. like, that's a hundred and thirteen, a hundred and eleven yep. years ago. Yep. And that blew my mind, mm. really, because, yeah. you know, yes, the inside might have been the exact same. Maybe it was changed. But to, to know that was the fingerprint of your family on this building and yeah. your son was there with the same initials, you're like, yep. OK, something's right. You did something Something's right. right. Yeah, it, w- it was like a, a seal that really it was like they were here, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. we were here, they were here. Yeah. And yeah, the, there were beautiful bookcases in the house, like built into the corner. So we knew we were looking at his, we knew we were looking at his great grandfather's handiwork. Yeah. You, you were looking at the, the, the fingerprints of your family. Yeah. That's amazing. And it, it wasn't, it was absolutely amazing. And then she was really nice enough. She had all these piles of tiles that match that were part of the original floor. I'm not, I'm not sure if, if you caught this, were they like in storage? And I, I don't, I didn't understand like why I they think looked that, almost original themselves. So they, I think they were, I think that they were being taken up. I'm sure I think I got the sense that she was like um, fixing the floors and maybe reusing what was left of the original tiles mm. as part of it. But I, I got the sense that there was probably, spaces that didn't have it so she had to kind of you know she was obviously an artist so I, I got the sense that she was like reimagining okay okay the floors but utilizing as much of the original as she could but then uh, invited drew to take some home which is amazing. that's right that's exactly right and so he and, and that was another moment where i thought he was gonna cry he, he was like are you sure and she's like please please like take some for your family you know, and so he even took like little bits of like some broken ones, but there are the original floors and they're very old school Italian floors. Like we came home and, and showed my mom and she's like, oh, yeah, that's the floors. That's the floors we used to use. Like everybody yeah. used to use those. Yeah. Yeah. This and is not like linoleum. No, it's they're beautiful. I mean, like they're beautiful, probably like hand painted tiles. Definitely. Definitely. Hand painted. Yeah. From, from, you know, 1900. Yeah. So my sister-in-law came over a few days ago and my husband, like, I have to show you something. And he pulled out the tiles and told her this is from grandpa's 
home in Alicudi and she just welled up. She she got so emotional. She's like, yeah. are you like, are you kidding me right now? And it's just these little things that connect us back to the past. And the main lesson I take away from that is what I always have to remind myself about tradition, which is it's a lot of work. Yeah. And you, you know, and you have meaning like circling back to our beginning conversation about Alakudi. It wasn't easy. No. And we didn't, you know, like we didn't, we didn't have to go there. We could have just stayed somewhere like way, way, way easier um, with more amenities. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. (laughs) It was right. Less of a challenge. And even that morning, we were so drained just from traveling and the heat and blah, blah, that like my husband and I had a moment where we're like, should we cancel on this guy? Should we call, like try to call him and be like, we can't make it because it was so early that we were meeting him. And then like, we were just like, no, this is stupid. You know, like, we're not going to do that. You're going to be all this way and not go do this. But you just, that's how tired we were. You had this like kind of momentary, uh, thought that like, I, I don't even want to walk over there, but you do, but we did. And it was so, so worth it. And anything that kind of almost anything that connects us back in that way, it just demands something of us. I oftentimes feel like, um, and again, maybe this is too religious for the audience. I forgive me, but like, you know, I, I really believe in these things, right? So I believe the Holy spirit puts things in front of you, not necessarily always obviously, but there and ripe for you to engage them. But at the same time, I think the devil will do his best to slow you down and to stop you from uh, uh, from seeing them or from doing them or from taking up the the oh, wow. opportunity. I'm sorry, I'm having a moment. Yeah, no, but you know, what I mean, it's like, oh, no, yeah, this is, this is the balance, right? Because when you experience something like that, yeah, first of all, the, the, the time at the ancestral home is one level of experience. And this idea that, like, you know, we are bigger than ourselves, right? That's a very real um threat to modern society counter to the idea this modern idea that we're like some blank canvas that we can define ourselves in every way possible uh your your family is a great reminder that you don't define yourself uh in everything you know you, you can certainly run counter but there's something about you that's before you and bigger than you and you know i think the idea that you know when you hit a struggle, like you get lost and you're frustrated, it may be to redirect you to meet Jessica. And when you are stressed and, you know, you're worried mm. about timing and the heat and all of these external things, and you may want to pass up the opportunity to do something that could be once in a lifetime. That's all the temptation to stay away from these great, um, beautiful blessings that are that are put in front of you, not necessarily as a layup. And they come with challenges and they come with difficulties and you have to earn them and get to them, but they are put in front of you if you're open to it. I think that's real. It's really well said. And the reason I said I'm having a moment before was because I was, I, I was kind of struggling to describe that little moment that Drew and I had. I can still see us standing there. We were, we were by that little cove that had the covered with the table and mm-hmm. we were just having some quick espresso that, that Stuart had made, Stu Elliott. Uh, and we were looking at the water and it was, it was like, it was like the devil 
it was like a temptation to mm-hmm. like, you don't, you don't really want this treasure. Like you don't yeah. really want this experience. You don't want this connection, right? You're tired, right? Yeah. You're hot, right? It's been you, a lot, right? It, it just kind of came into our minds and then. Because what's yeah. more threatening to the idea that, you know, if the, if the beauty of life is to teach you that you belong to something greater than yourself and you have this, this history and this, uh, this identity that's, that's predetermined and you have this great entity that you're not just blessed by, but also responsible to, what's the greatest threat to that, it, right? That's, a, that's an, I should say, that's an amazing threat to the idea that like you want to be detached and on your own. So you get this temptation of like, what's the selfish thing to do and the easy thing to do sit home and cling to whatever breeze you can get and, you know, bitch and moan about the fact there's no air conditioning. Well, yeah, sure. That's, that's easy. But the, Mm -hmm. the path of least resistance is that way for a reason. Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. Imagine that we had not gone. Yeah. That would have been a whole, a fundamentally different experience and, all, I mean, the, the, the beauty of what you take from it, the strength, what it means to you, how you define yourself, the sharing of this experience, the sharing amongst each other, but also just the, just from like a black and white perspective, like the island would have felt way less special and probably mm. way more frustrating if you didn't yes. do that. Yes, 100%. And also my thought just was to what an insult to his ancestors. Yeah, that's true. I almost, I almost just got this feeling of, like they would have deserved to haunt us. Yes. You know, like what, yeah. what a sin that would have been to them to be there, literally right there yeah. with the opportunity. So just keep that in mind the next time, you know, you're we're, we're, whatever level it is of something that you're just like, I'm tired. I don't want to do it. Uh, it's a lot of work. Why am I always the one doing this? <laughs> but that's <laughs> somebody slowing has down, to. right? That's right, the slowing that's just, down. Yeah, yeah. It's not just slowing down your pace. It's not saying slowing down doesn't mean necessarily only like taking less phone calls or rushing to things less. It means slowing down the, the way you take in the world. It means, you know, we flatter ourselves. And again, this is a religious theme for me. We flatter ourselves. I think we have control over stuff and we love it's in our human frailty it's in our condition of original sin to want to make decisions and impact our existence and our daily uh, uh, occurrences and so we are so proactive right we like we're like spinning tops that are just like spun out into the world and like everything is just this tasmanian devil tornado slowing down also means slowing down how you react to the world how you take in the signs and symbols and guidance that you get from a higher power, how you make decisions. You know, if you were to be at a fast pace and make a a proactive decision right away based on the circumstances that are easier, you just go, okay, we're not going to do it. And I'm sure all of us have had many of those things where it's we just opted for the easy way out. But if you're really slowed down, it may not slow the pace of your actual life. It may just slow the way you take in the stimuli yeah. and make decisions. And that's like your response time. Like yeah. That, that reaction time that you put some space between the, the thought and the action, if that makes any sense, yes. you know, like, and, and, and the right? circumstances around you currently, like, yeah, it's hot. Yeah. It's, it's things that we right. are hiking and walking and I'm tired and a headache and I, but like slow down and yeah. pull out those, those conditions that, you know, shouldn't, necessarily impacted decision not always right yeah and i i was thinking 
just before when I said what what a sin it would have been against his ancestors now now my ancestors of course and I remembered Colette she unlocked the door she stood in the doorway and turned around to look at us before any of us walked in and she started saying to Drew she said your ancestors were so 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 brave yeah I remember that yeah I'm like I have my uh, hair on my arm standing up and she almost was trying kind of not to cry too. And she said life here was so difficult at that time. Yeah. Said something along these lines. Life was so difficult at that time and things were so bad. And, and for them to, you know, to survive that and then also like leave here, just, just like they were so brave and uh, that was like a dichotomy, right? Like, Yeah. Uh, you, right. It, life was so hard there, exponentially harder than the, you know, slight difficulties we encountered. Right. And they had to survive there and, and try to thrive there and grow a family and feed a family and clothe a family. And then as difficult as it is in that place, they had to make the ultimate decision that thriving, surviving, feeding and clothing a family was not really feasible. And so they had to th- really throw it all on a on a gamble and go somewhere a bazillion i mean it's hard enough to get to the mainland of sicily let alone brooklyn and can you imagine you know we we have this i think we forget sometimes we think about our ancestors coming here and the sense that like of course you left right and this this speaks to any migrants that come here today too which is why i'm very sensitive about how we talk about immigration in this country because you know this is not like people make like a one day decision like, oh, I'm just going to go to this new country and try to get in and like give it a shot. It takes, I'm sure, having not had to make this decision, a massive tearing at your soul to make a decision to leave even the worst circumstances that are that are yours, that are your families, yeah. that are your ancestors. I mean, we're sitting here so first world problems you know, bitching and moaning about whether or not right. it'd be easily to relocate, easy to relocate to uh, a first world country <laughs> by choice where, you right, know, right. where you could work yeah. on a computer, let alone like I got to throw in everything I got and make this risk. And so you just keep adding on top of that, that narrative, this idea that, yeah, it was, it was difficult and probably stunk, but still gut wrenching to leave and go somewhere that you just don't necessarily belong yet you know and yeah gosh yeah Yeah, they were brave. starting all over again they were brave and then here we are like whining like i don't know if i want to walk there i'm I'm hot (laughs) i'm tired and um i actually have seen drew's i think it's his great grandmother's um ticket they have drew's family has a lot of documents artifacts heirlooms from their ancestors it's very 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 impressive and I'm jealous because I, I almost have nothing. Yeah, same and here. same with you. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 really a treasure. So I've seen her ticket for her travel for leaving Alakudi to go to Brooklyn. And it was so many stops. I think I think it was like Alakudi to Milazzo, then Milazzo to would Genova make sense? Could be, yeah. And then or I'm sorry, to Naples, then from Naples, like to Genoa, and then but not only that, the cost, it said, how much would have like 800 lira been? Back in the 40s? No. Yeah. No. In the 20s. 20s. 
20s? That's a good question. I, I would have a lot. Um, I would imagine. I don't know the exchange rate then, but in the hundreds, I'm sure it was a significant amount for a poor family. Eight hundred. Okay, there. so in I read that and I thought, well, how on earth did they save that? Yeah. yeah. Not just for her, for the father, for the son. That alone. Imagine just it just gave me this moment where I thought, you know, you think of like the trip being hard, leaving home being hard, settling in being hard. Becoming an American, learning a new language, all of those things. But what about just buying your ticket? Yeah. To get out of there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because you're starving. We, we did an episode on uh, with the authors of a, of a book about these Italians that were swindled. Uh, Pat and I did it. And, you know, the way he described it to us or the, these two authors, they described it to us. Um, it was basically like they're beyond their life savings to make this trip in, in most cases, you know what I mean? Like who it's, and it's, it's, again, it's the same thing today. You know, think about like these people yeah. who unfortunately have to come over our border in less than uh, less than transparent ways that are paying, what are they? $15,000 sometimes to these, like um, what do they call them? Mules, bobcats, whatever they are, the people are like smuggling them through in you know I think the it's bottoms. coyotes coyotes thank you yeah mm. bobcats um and i'm Mule, donkey. mules from the island donkey <laughs> hey, donkey but uh yeah like you know that's think about what it like, think about what it costs us to save 15 grand yeah let alone no, somebody it's, in, it's crazy it's, and, yep. yeah, and, and yet you have to do that exactly like in in that kind of environment i, I just don't i don't know how they did it no. but they did Thank you so much for joining me. I hope that you loved the conversation between John and I. Again, just a reminder, part two of this conversation will air next week. Be sure you're subscribed so that you know right away when that episode is live. And I want to remind you that you can DM me or email me. I love reading notes from you. I love when you introduce yourselves to me. You can shoot me an email, Dolores at bellafigutapodcast.com or over on Instagram. I'm at Dolores underscore Alfieri underscore Taranto. Here's to knowing your roots and cultivating a beautiful life from their power.